Welcome to On The Record, a podcast featuring candid conversations with entrepreneurs, business leaders, academics, and cultural influencers. In today's episode, we have a conversation between two chief technology officers. WiseLine CTO, Annie Balabarca, interviews Miguel Alvarado, the CTO at Lumiata. In this episode, they discuss the role of technology in healthcare, COVID-19 contact tracing, and the promise of 5G technology. And like always, remember to visit wiseline.com for all of your digital transformation needs. Hello, this is Aníbal Abarca. I'm CTO at WiseLine. Welcome to this new episode of On The Record. And in this case, we have Miguel Alvarado, who is CTO at Lumiata. Welcome, Miguel. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for helping us and thanks for this conversation. Looking forward to the topics that we're going to discuss today. And uh, it's, a, it's a good way to start on a good note for those who are listening that we're going to talk about health. And, and I want to let Miguel to tell us a little bit more about uh, himself and also about Lumiata. But uh, talking about health, Miguel is right now walking, uh, which is super important. <laughs> uh, since we are all uh, sitting in front of a computer most of the day, so I think that's a that's a good way of keep uh, keep moving and 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 improve our health. That's exactly right. I've I've come to the realization that balance is one of the most important things to health and to be balanced in in this world we live today. You have to make sure that you're moving around every now and then. Uh, just to have that body balance. That's right. It's super important. And well, this is uh, a very, very good way to start. Uh, tell us a little bit about your company, Miguel, and, and, and also maybe about, about yourself, about your background. Absolutely. Let's start with my background. So I've been in the tech industry uh, since 1996. So I, I started as an individual contributor, as a software engineer, and then I started managing teams, and, and now I'm CTO at Lumiara. And throughout that time frame, I've worked for large enterprises uh, and also startup companies of various kinds. Um, and even in the, in the big enterprises, there's always been an element of, of a startup environment. Uh, three of these were startup teams in big companies. So... Um, I am definitely a person that enjoys starting new things uh, and get them going. The, the common theme in the last 12 years has been building data platforms. And, and then in the last 12 years and subsequently, you know, in the last six years, building machine learning applications. So AI has been a very strong recent focus for me. And I, I spent a lot of time in entertainment and, and media. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to do next about two years and a half ago, I, I realized that I wanted to, while I really enjoyed media and entertainment, I wanted to go to a space that had more, imp, more social impact. And I narrowed it down to two, two areas that I think are strong pillars of any strong society, which are health, healthcare, and uh, education. So I started to look at the healthcare space first, and that's how I ended up at Lumiara. So I, I kind of wanted to, uh, clearly AI has really moved the needle in a lot of spaces. And I felt that 
if I wanted to continue down the AI route, I wanted to go to a place where it's going to have a, a big impact in society. So, so that's how I started Lumiara. And now a little bit about Lumiara. Uh, Lumiara has been around for a few years. Um, I, I've been at Lumiara for, it's going to be two years in October. And what, what we do is we deliver an AI platform uh, for healthcare companies to maximize the value of their data and create predictions of various kinds to serve different use cases. So we ha- the, the technology strategy was to build a platform and our product, our flagship product is AI Studio. And within AI Studio, we have a few different things. We have machine learning models that allow payers and providers predict different things going from cost, predicting cost at the individual and group level, and also predicting conditions. So we predict the disease onset, hospital admission, readmission, all in the spirit of trying to make healthcare better, right? So uh, the better people can predict costs, they can optimize their processes or cash reserves. The underwriting process for insurance can be, can be easier and better. Um, creating clinical predictions can, can take people to a proactive stance in trying to help people prevent conditions and so forth. Uh, so it's a very, uh, I guess, broad, comprehensive focus. And beyond the models, we also provide toolkits for uh, data teams in healthcare to build their own machine learning capabilities. Um, knowing that, you know, there's a very well-known statistic, uh, knowing that data teams spend 85% of their time doing data wrangling, data cleaning, uh, and then the rest of the time is real data science. We wanted to flip that on its head and say, well, why don't we take on the 85% of the time, given teams now more bandwidth to do deeper things and more things. Um, since machine learning is highly experimental, um, the, the more bandwidth you have, the more experiments you can, you can run and the more success you can have. Um, and, and, and it's not a general purpose toolkit for, to, de- to, to develop any machine learning application. It's with a healthcare-specific bias. There are a lot of really great horizontal platforms out there to build machine learning models like SageMaker, DataRobot, Databricks, but we are focused solely on healthcare. So on any given part of the machine learning lifecycle, we go very deep. And and that's that's what Lumiera is in a nutshell, uh, or at least that's what we we have as our product offering. And in in that, we get exposed to a lot of different things that are going on with the payers, so insurance companies. Uh, the providers, so doctors and hospitals, and, and also now uh, with telemedicine as well. Before, and, and we have a, a few topics that, that, we, that we selected for, for this conversation. Among them, we, we, we might cover something around uh, connectivity and, and how the technology is driving that, accelerating connectivity, accelerating, accelerating data access. Um, but before going to that topic, and since the 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 focus and the and and this and the area of expertise of Lumiana is data and uh, data management and and, and enablement uh, for uh, healthcare providers and, and payers, how how do you see the the industry or how do you see these stakeholders and and, and actors in the ecosystem changing the way they interact with with the ecosystem and maybe with the patients as well. Now that data is more available and, and new data platforms are available, have you seen 
changes there in the industry or what are the key uh, the key factors that you that you think are are impacting the the industry uh, thanks to the access of data right right so I think that um, it's a good question uh, I think that in in general in the last probably five years four to five years there's been an influx inside healthcare in terms of being more open to sharing data and moving data around uh, and also moving to the cloud. You know, healthcare companies have been moving from on-premise environments now to cloud environments, you know, like Azure, AWS, and Google Cloud. And uh, there's, so there, there's a couple things there, right? So I think one is the, the openness to shared data is important because now you start connecting more players, right? I mean, we're only as good as the sum of our parts. So, uh, you know, sometimes what a, one company can do by, the, by themselves is limiting. But when you start adding a lot of different players and you have the ability to share data, uh, that becomes more powerful, right? So now healthcare companies are using companies like us, like Lumiara, to help them with AI, for instance, right? And, and, and even two years ago when I started Lumiara, I think there was more resistance in terms of give it, sharing data with us. Um, so that's changing. But at the same time, it's technology that's enabled that, that change because there's better common best practices around security and privacy. And, and there's now the realization that, well, if, even if it's a small company like Lumiara, so, so we're hosted in Google Cloud they have Google behind them to provide the security, the core security infrastructure. And if you use that infrastructure properly, you can have a very secure environment. So I think the openness has come from the, the real understanding of how a cloud provider can give you way better capabilities than the ones that you can build your own on-premises. Um, and that's given people comfort. And, and that's why I think people are more open now with data. So now kind of pivoting to a slightly different, different angle, uh, the, the, the adoption of cloud is very relevant because now people can do more with the data that they've had already for years. As, as we know, no matter how sophisticated your on-premise environment is, there's nothing like the elasticity of the cloud and, and having access to technologies like Redshift on AWS, uh, BigQuery on Google, so that, all that is really starting to, it's allowing, to, it's allowing healthcare companies to really exploit the power of their data. And if you think about it, the, the data is very, very, it's gold, the, the data that the healthcare companies have. So from one side, you have the health insurance companies, they have claims, but inside claims, you have diagnosis data, you have pharmacy data, and in some cases, you have lab data. So, I mean, and you have the whole timeline on which, you know, services were rendered. If you go to the EHR side, electronic health records from the provider side, from the hospitals and doctors, you have all that. And in addition, sometimes you have doctor notes. So little unstructured data where doctors have been writing notes. So, I mean, all in all, I think that uh, it's an exciting time in healthcare and data. I think there's more openness. There's better 
well understood security best practices that allow people to feel comfortable uh, sharing data, uh, and then uh, there's a, there's much there's much more cloud adoption than ever before. Yes, and 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 to touch the the concept of electronic health record, and I um, uh, from from my point of view, and, and um, it's I'm not familiar, I'm not very close to the the healthcare industry, but I I've heard a lot the concept of electronic health record, and the and it has almost become a little bit political, no? Like all the if. Uh, the, the privacy concerns and the and whether or not you can use that information, how are you going to use that information, who will have access to that, how transferable that information will be. Um, and thinking about the, the 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 scenarios that you are also presenting, because you're right, we have labs data, we have research, we have a lot more information. Right now we have contact tracing, for example. It's a it's a new source of data um, and, and, and data that's becoming generally available uh, in, in many countries. But I wonder if there are other sites or other, other dimensions or other aspects of the data that are probably having more impact than electronic health record. And, and many companies have only concentrated on that or mainly concentrated on electronic health record. And, and what are the other things that probably we don't talk a lot uh, that are that are more interesting or that you find more interesting? That, that's or actually a very, that, that's a very good uh, topic. I think that you know thus far there's only been claims data and electronic health records, and and you can consider claims data to be almost like a like a subset of the electronic health record. In addition, has the financial information of how much services are costing and the reimbursements and all that. Um, but there are, there's been research then, and there's a, there's a startup that it's a, it's another cost lab venture startup called Cure, who's done some research showing that they, they can yield better value by collect than, than electronic health records by collecting data directly from the patient. So, so what Cure has implemented is um, a, an ex they're trying to automate the, at least the, the triage phases, right, uh, that people go through when, when you want to visit a doctor. And in some cases, maybe you don't have to visit the doctor at all. So they're trying to power that with AI. And, and in that journey, um, they, they discovered that the data they collect directly from people in the form of questionnaires, in the form of symptom checkers, in the form of these, you know, direct to patient experiences, it, it yields more value when building machine learning models, which is pretty interesting. So that's so that's one side of it. And in addition, if you think about the the huge influx of health devices in the IoT world, you can start thinking about broader possibilities. So consider this. The problem that electronic health records have in claims data for that matter is that you have data for every time that a person has gone to the doctor, right? So every time I go to the doctor, um, you know, the, the, it's recorded what my diagnosis was, if there was a diagnosis and, and the medications that were 
give them to me when I go get them from the pharmacy that, that record some additional data. And, but, but what if, but what if I'm an individual that is not visiting the doctor that often because I'm not really getting that sick or, or even if I'm sick, maybe my, my checkpoints with the doctor are like every six months or some cadence like that. But the question is what happened in between? <laughs> And if you think about it, there's so much that can happen in between, right? Like a lot, there's a lot of vital metrics in, in your body that are changing, not only day over day, but like hour over hour. So now consider the, the new breed of IoT devices that are monitoring uh, health aspects, right? And going from consumer devices like the Apple Watch and, and even your iPhone, you know, the tracking your steps, you know, you can even track your nutrition. It takes some effort in your site to do it. Um, and then now with telemedicine, there's been an influx of health monitoring devices that doctors are now deploying in people's homes to see how these vitals are changing. Now that's really exciting because now, so you combine that new type of data, right? And, and, and that is really big data, it's huge data. If you think about you know, collecting you know, data every second about an individual. Um, so you have now a lot more data and you combine that with machine learning and that could give a tool to providers, to, to, uh, to physicians that they just did not have in the past at all. You know, if you, if you think about the process of getting to a diagnosis, right, you go to the doctor, you tell the doctor your symptoms, depending on what you describe, they may decide to do further studies and take x-rays and sometimes lab, lab tests. But sometimes you don't even go there, right? Sometimes you, you express what you felt and the doctor synthesizes it and based on their knowledge gives you a diagnosis. Well, if you think about it, that it, it, you know, there's a margin of error in that because you might have not described things very accurately. It's your interpretation of what you're feeling in the body, which you know, could be right or wrong. And then as the doctor's educated, but, but still and it's an opinion. It's an educated opinion of what you just described. So, and there's data that shows that diagnosis, unfortunately, uh, only has 65 to 70% accuracy. To take it to 90%, you have to add two or three doctors. So it's, it's known, it's well known that, that, it's not a, that there's room for improvement. Going back to yes. what I was saying, now with this richness of data collected and machine learning, that could be an incredible tool for physicians to do better diagnosis. They'll just have a lot more visibility. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm a systems engineer at heart. It's like if you build a distributed system and you don't add monitoring. <laughs> and and you, don't, you don't add monitoring to your system and you only know when the system has failed. <laughs> right so to troubleshoot this system you kind of need the monitoring that leads to that failure well it's the same thing right now now it's almost like we're adding telemetry uh to to us humans in a good way it's a very good thing so, yes, so i think go ahead no i i, I need this a, a a very good i i guess we can take this away as, as uh into two different topics one is a the impact and the and the behavioral change or the also the the I would say the acceptance of uh, having access to your health data yep. via uh, contact tracing applications. Yes, uh, this is happening because COVID around the world. 
uh, but also on the trends and and the new forces, the technology forces on on the on on the uh, connectivity side. For example, uh, 5G that could enable more uh, IoT devices connected at home or in many places are collecting data and and are collecting health um, and monitoring health. Um, uh, probably we can take any of those or uh, in any order, but um, I, I yeah. think that will have a great impact, no? In 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 those topics, in those two topics that we're talking about. Well, yeah, I, th- I think yes. There's a lot there to dissect, but let's start with uh, the contact tracing part because I think that's a super relevant topic now with the pandemic that we're living through. I think that so obviously there's now better ways to collect data and, and now contact tracing is is innovative in a sense right it's really using existing technology to try to help uh monitor aspects of the pandemic and there's a big kind of controversy right some people think like well i don't i don't want to be part of it because uh, privacy is very dear to me you know i uh, having uh, an app that's monitoring where i'm going and and whatnot and is monitoring the people that are uh, have tested positive in COVID, with COVID, I'm sorry. Um, well, that's an invasion of my privacy. Now, like Big Brother is watching. Yes. So I am a huge advocate for privacy. And, and you know, I, I, I get upset sometimes when uh, my ad targeting is a little bit too precise <laughs> because I realize after that precision, it means that there's a lot of data sharing that had to happen. I, I was going to say that. That's kind of already happening. That's, it's, it's, yeah, we, we, just, we, we were not asked about. Well, it's a good point. That's a fantastic yeah. point. Like when you, when you go do a Google search, right? It's about some topic. It's not a rare event that when you go to Instagram afterwards, you see an ad that is, re- or Facebook for that matter, uh, that is related to that. Now, the thing is that, that the advertisement data ecosystem is super sophisticated and that can happen almost magically by not even identifying you as an individual, right? In an anonymous way, um, the there's very clever algorithms that can find matches, right, for you. Uh, but anyway, the, the, you're correct. It's already happening with advertisement. And, and, you know, I think that people don't really even understand what happens behind the scenes with advertisement. If people knew, I think it would raise a lot of eyebrows. But coming back to, to, to contact tracing, though, I, you know, I'm all about privacy and I th- I, we should respect it and we should fight for it. However... You know, when you're experiencing a pandemic like the one that we're experiencing, there, you, sh- you have to make exceptions, right? It's not about doing what's right for you as an individual. It's about doing what's right for the, for the world. And, and, and the thing is, if you look at what certain countries did really early on when they started getting COVID cases, like, for instance, Singapore and South Korea, they got things under control very, very fast. And in fact, Singapore was able to get away without doing even a lockdown, which is pretty impressive. But they relied on contact tracing technology and very strict quarantines to be able to do that. So they, they would monitor. So, so, and the other thing that they deployed aggressively was testing, which I think just truth be told, I think this is where we failed as a country, the, 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 the lag in deploying testing was outrageous to be honest but um, other countries were able to do it way more uh way faster 
So they succeeded at deployment at deploying aggressive testing across the board. And so they were able to identify more quickly and accurately people that were sick. You combine that with a system that was widely adopted for contact tracing, and now you could see where infected people were and how far away you are from them. And you combine that with strict quarantine, where if you were sick, you were asked to actually remove yourself from your family and go to a hospital so that the rest of the family wouldn't get sick. And, and they got it way more rapidly under control. So I think that when there's emergency situations like this, all things have to go out the window and we have to get over ourselves a little bit and, and realize like, this is not about your privacy anymore. This is about collectively combating a pandemic. Yes. Uh, and, and so, I mean, that, that's, that's my take on it. So I think we as individuals just need to be more open-minded, I guess, and not use the same rules of thinking for, for, for everything related to data. Right? When it comes to privacy, yes, it's very important if you're talking about advertisement or product targeting or things like that, totally. But if it's about health and not only your health, but the health of a broader society, I think that we just have to be more flexible. Unfortunately, politics inside healthcare and government politics don't favor us in that sense, but that's a different topic. Yes, although I, I believe... Um, legal frameworks have improved and, and material a lot over the past five years and and then it will it will continue to to improve and it's true and i guess true. also uh we'll, we'll we will have to adapt and and adopt those frameworks and and then help those uh data providers or 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 those companies or organizations that are handling that data to to be accountable for that right but but yes um i think there is a lot of noise on the on the political side, but I, I, I will say that also the, the legal frameworks have improved a lot. I, I agree. I agree. And, the, the, you know, we, we got to learn from what other people have done and has proven to be successful. Like, I can't remember, truth be told, if it was Singapore or South Korea, but one of the two countries literally rewrote some of the of the of the law around data privacy just so that they could move the needle in the pandemic and that happened in a matter of a couple of weeks that's, that's huge yes. we, if we try to do anything like that in the u.s it's going to take two months and we'll still be debating about it <laughs> afterwards yes yes you're right and, and and that is that is that is super important and when we're considering health and and probably other aspects or other other areas that will generate great social impact. Um, I think it's, it, that's even more important that that's right. way yeah, to yeah, respond so and to have conscient, uh, conscious right, decisions right. about that. Yeah, like maybe you don't want to apply the same methodology in any other circumstance, but when it's an emergency, it's an emergency. and We just have to be able to act a lot quicker. And so, I mean, I, I think, I think in, in short, I think when it comes to data privacy related to healthcare, we as individuals just have to be very, we have to understand the context, right, that we're dealing with uh, in every single situation and, and, you know, the impact of that situation and how us opting in or out of our privacy rights may impact things in a positive or a negative way. And we, we can't just like, see all things equal when it comes to healthcare data and privacy. That's right. And um, 
going to to the second topic uh connectivity and and the uh, advances in telemedicine and also health monitoring thanks to new technologies but also because of the context that we are uh, is we were forced to stay at home and that increased the i mean we already have connectivity uh and and there is a huge penetration of uh cell phone and and also broadband in 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 many countries um uh, telemedicine has been really benefit from uh, from 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 the current context uh what other forces do you think will continue helping us to go that way you mentioned triaging you you mentioned uh monitoring uh, what else do you see there yeah uh, well i think that you know I, i i'm an optimist so i always try to extract uh positive takeaways from even a, a very negative situation and i mean just to reinforce what you were saying i think that covid has really changed the the landscape in healthcare from a telemedicine perspective in the sense that Telemedicine is not a new technology or a new initiative in healthcare. It's been around for, my understanding is like 10, 12 years. But what COVID has done is it's created a forcing function to, to accelerate the, the adoption, right? And what, what that did, though, is it made the skeptics realize, oh, wow, this is not only good, Uh, for the patient because it's convenient. There's a lot of other benefits. We get cost benefits, right? So the cost of care goes down. Um, and now, you know, while, while collecting uh, new forms of data because of telemedicine, now we are enriching uh, what we know about people. So the point I'm trying to make is that I think this pandemic has established a new baseline in healthcare when it comes to, to these things. So we have yet to see where this goes. I think it's an exciting time because I think it's really going to change things in the future. Um, and in addition, you know, you have, uh, you, you mentioned uh, 5G earlier, right? So better connectivity, re more reliable, faster, et cetera, networks is just going to, create a better fiber for for the new telemedicine world to to take place and i think it's not just telemedicine right i think ai is it's a huge it's a huge force that's moving along with it uh ai in, in terms of providing automation at the triage level uh like i was saying uh pro, you know helping doctors um give better diagnosis by being able to uh provide richer data, uh, even AI making predictions uh, of what things may happen and then have physicians in the loop uh, analyze those predictions. So I think all of these things together, I, I don't think that is a one, it, it's a multidimensional thing, right? It's a multidimensional, yes. um, uh, I guess, landscape that's being formed where you have, it's almost like you have data at the center, <laughs> right? Then you have better connectivity, better connectivity and software to enable the co connectivity, right? So, uh, so the fiber is the, the connectivity plus software like Zoom, 
which we're using at the moment, um, you know, uh, Google Meet, et cetera. So that becomes now kind of your foundation, like your fiber. And then on top of that, you have all the different, all the new data collection mechanisms. Now imagine, and, and we're just starting to scratch the surface. I mean, where, and when I say we, I mean us as a healthcare industry, yes. not just Lumiera. Um, we're starting to collect now new data from people like questionnaires and through symptom checkers, things of that, even conversational experience. But now that people are having video conference calls, imagine a world where we're even capturing the video and the audio and using those as a signal to build, to power AI applications. I think that, you know, if, if you're having a telemedicine appointment with your doctor, say every month, you could, analyze the video and see if anything has changed in the individual, right? Maybe in the voice too, has, is the voice, uh, is the voice hinting anything? You know, can you, can, you can you detect any changes that may hint that the person is getting better or worse? Um, and, and then with better connectivity, you'll be able to also have a high bandwidth exchange of artifacts. Like, you know, if, if the doctor took x-rays or, or things of that nature, they can now more easily and quickly and safely, securely send these artifacts to the individual, right, via the internet. Um, on, the, on the flip side, if, if you have a wound, you know, you'd be, able to, you'd be able to take a photo of it with your super nice camera that phones have these days yeah. and send it over, over, over the internet. Um, so, so I, I think healthcare is about to change quite a bit. That's already happening. Um, uh, in the previous conversation, we were discussing about the how ophthalmologic uh, health providers are using uh, images that can be even uh, taken by a, with a with an iPhone or with with a, a cell phone, and then using AI. Um, create a diagnostic to identify if there is a cataract or, or, or something similar, right? And they are ingesting a lot of data that is helping the algorithms to learn. And of course, uh, still uh, supported and, and trained by uh, experts, by doctors, but that's definitely helping one, the triaging, but also to identify those diseases earlier. Right? When, when, when you can treat them in advance and become and, and turn to uh, prevent the diseases instead of, of treating them afterwards or, or, or um, uh, once, once probably the, the disease is more advanced. And, and also because of COVID, what have you seen in terms or have you seen any behavioral change or any trend in the in the in, in the treatments in the in the response of the health providers that mobility has impacted um, or or is it too soon to 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 see if that have make a, a, a an impact on the on, on on the behavioral change of the of the population yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of early to, to come to any like hard conclusions, uh, but there's signal. I think there's, there's signal in a lot of different places showing the, the benefits of the connectivity. And I mean, when I talk about connectivity, I immediately think about telemedicine, telehealth, just because it's, you know, they're, they're very tied together. 
And I think what peop- the benefits that people are saying are seeing is that uh, there are multiple benefits. One is financial; they're seeing cost reduction in, in treating people. They're able they're able to scale better, right? Uh, and and there's greater uh, satisfaction from the patient's perspective. You know, people, is, I mean, it's convenient, right? Not having to go to the doctor and, and doing things at home. It's, it's a lot easier. And what we think at Lumiara that will start happening because of all of this is that, you know, the same way that uh, Spotify can, and, and Netflix can personalize your experience of watching content all of these new data streams that are coming together with good, strong connectivity at the fiber of it all uh, is going to now allow people to personalize the the experience. A lot of the a lot of the procedures um, that are part of the common medical practice are very they're like run books, right? And the thing is, though, is people's health. Every individual, the DNA of each individual is very different, right? And their eating habits are different. And I mean, every human being is very unique from another. So personalizing the medical experience, the clinical experience, I think it's going to be a, a huge thing. We, we haven't seen it happen full on. Um, I don't, uh, we, we don't have any success stories yet of people saying, hey, you know, I, I got better or, you know, we were able to revert my condition because of personalized care. Uh, we, have, we don't have that data yet, or at least not that I know of. Um, there, there may be some data somewhere out there, but, but not, not familiar to me. Yeah. But, but I think that in a year or perhaps two, we'll have a better, a, a, we'll have hard data that show the impact of that. So for sure, we're going to start personalizing healthcare. And then, so that's going to happen. But then the question is, what is the outcome of that? That's, that's amazing and super interesting. And, and I think we're going to see uh, a, a lot more coming in, in, the, in the near future. So it's going to be uh, good to probably reconnect soon and, 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 and see how things are going. And we're coming uh, to, to the end. And I don't know if you have any... Uh, any any parting notes or probably something that you would like to share, something that you are reading, something that is exciting uh, that you would like to share with with us, uh, or or anything that you would like to comment to to close this conversation, which I have really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of things. I mean, I think one is I I really hope that all of us as individuals embrace all this new technology. We, we also have to be careful, right? So we got to make sure that people are using it right and, and that it's not hurting anybody. So I think that we have to be open-minded and careful at the same time. So I think we should all be doing that. And uh, I think that on the, on, the, on the healthcare side, I think that there's another movement that I'm excited about that is not technological. It's more uh, on the medical side and that is functional medicine. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with functional medicine or not. I haven't heard. Yeah, so um, I am a, a big fan of Dr. Mark Hyman, who is the director of functional medicine. I follow him on Twitter and watch a lot of his videos. And uh, there's others, but he's a very predominant fig- figure. So 
when you ask him, you know, what, what is functional medicine? So the way that he describes this, describes functional medicine is, you know, traditional medicine has been all about understanding disease and treating disease and, you know, curing, quote unquote, addressing disease. So like functional medicine is about flipping it over on its head and understanding health, understanding health and promoting health and embracing health and reinforcing health, which takes you from the reactive mode to the proactive mode. So then functional medicine is everything that traditional Western medicine is. And in addition, uh, and in addition adds a much richer nutrition curriculum. So functional doctor will look at you holistically and look at like, okay, these are your symptoms and, and this is what you experience. That's great. But what are you eating? What are you putting in your yes. body? How much physical activity do you have? Uh, do you drink alcohol? Do you do drugs? Do you smoke or do you, did you smoke at some point? What is your mental health like? You know, uh, and, and, and because you kind of have to, right? Like, like it, there's people that get sick because of stress. So clearly your mental health is, is, is a very, very big thing to, to consider. So that's happening on the, on the medical side and functional medicine is, is starting to become more and more pervasive. And when I talk to doctor friends, they get very excited about that way of thinking too. And it, because, you know, like for instance, in the past naturopaths have been looking at, at, at nutrition and things like, and supplements and things like that. But people would say, well, a naturopath is not a real doctor. So now you have quote unquote real doctors, right? Because they've taken the traditional yes. medicine curriculum when they studied. But in addition, they're extending that curriculum with a lot of other things and they, they're taking a completely different approach to dream people. So why, the reason why I get really excited about that is if you take everything that we just talked about, which is collecting more data, even nutrition data and your, your physical activity data, all that stuff, and you combine that with the philosophy or functional medicine, it's quite possible that, you know, the whole medical world will get flipped on its head and, and we're all about preventive care. And, oh, that's and, amazing. Yeah, yeah. We, we'll so share some, some links and, uh, to those references. And that reminds me that uh, Michael Lewis has a podcast that in, I don't remember if it's in the, in the first or the second season that he t talks about all the season he's referring to or he's kind of, exploring the topic of coaching uh -huh. and what you're describing re, re, resembles the, the concept of coaching. Why if we have a personal coach to care, um, to take care of our health mm -hmm. right? and, and the impact mm -hmm. of coaching in, in, in those, like the impact of coaching in performance at any kind of activity, personal mm -hmm. education, professional, family, of course, the athletes, the impact of coaching. And that's a, that's a topic that he explores in, in, in that season, um, which I can, I, I can see the, the similarities there, which I believe are, are, are very interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's uh, yeah, I, I love the analogy of uh, each individual having like a health coach, <laughs> right? That, that is helping you with, with what you're eating um, you know, how you're thinking, you know, you're getting stressed out by the things you're thinking, you know, and uh, yeah. And, and I mean, the, the last thing I'll say is that 
this is just a personal opinion. Uh, I am a firm believer, and this resonates really well with functional medicine, that we are what we eat. And America, unfortunately, is sick because of its food. So I think that it's very important for all of us to, to watch what we eat, always look at the, at the back of the, of the box of the thing that we're, that we're, that we're buying. I mean, we're putting it in our body, right? And, and that becomes part of us in a sense. So yes. anyway, well, that's, that's, it's that's true going for Mexico on. as well. But that's, uh, yeah, that, that can be an entire new topic to, yes, to yes, for another yes, conversation. Yes, 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 <laughs> for sure. That's great, Miguel. Thank you very much for, uh, for the time. Thank you very much for taking the, the, our invitation to participate in this episode of On The Record. It was a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope we can talk soon. Yes, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. I'd like to come back at some point when there's more data around you know, results for, for what's being implemented today. We'll, we'll take your, 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 your word for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Have a good day. Bye.